morning, City of Hope. It is good to be back together with you this morning. I know I say it often, but thank you so much for being here, live and virtual, and making it a priority to fellowship together with God's people and to worship the Lord week in and week out. Your weekly presence is a testimony to the goodness of God and to his ability to keep us in his love. And it's just very encouraging to me. So thank you. And to the children in the room and online, I want to take this time to encourage you. As you get older, you might be tempted to skip church. And you may start to think that gather, the gathering of God's people was boring. You may even now think that prioritizing Sunday worship is just not that important. But I want to let you know that it is really important. It's important to stay in community and to build your life around the body of Christ and to serve and worship the Lord by serving and worshiping in your local church. You are important members of the body of Christ. I know it won't always be easy, and it may not always be fun, but it will be rewarding, and it will likely be a big part of how God makes you more like him as you grow up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we praise you for your mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love, and faithfulness. We ask that, that this morning you will bring your word to our ears, let it ring true in our minds, and then be cherished in our hearts. Continually pour out your spirit upon us that we may confess that Jesus is the Christ today and for the rest of our lives. Amen. Now, remaining in fellowship with the church and remaining and abiding in the truth are central to the passage we will be working through today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. Last month, we looked at 1 John 1 and learned how John was exalting the person and the work of the incarnate Jesus, whom he had seen, heard, and touched, and then called us to both walk in the light, namely, he urged us to not sin, and at the same time, he encouraged us that when we do sin, Jesus advocates for us and cleanses us from our sin. Remember that John was saying this to the church in response to certain deceivers from within the church, saying things like, we have no sin, and there is no sin in us, and that we have fellowship with God, even while they were walking in darkness. And in this week's passage, we are going to hear from those same deceivers. Two weeks ago, Temi continued preaching through 1 John chapter 2, and he shared with us how God is light, and in him there can be no darkness. And he reminded us that when we live out this new, old covenant of loving one another, especially those inside the family of faith, we shine our lights and push back against the darkness. That we are active participants in the battle between light and dark and truth and falsehood, in this passage, John also encouraged us to not love the world or be deceived by the world, and he reminded us that those who do the will of God abide forever. This week, as we close out chapter 2, we're going to see how John continues to describe the inner church conflict, how he elevates the theme of truth and light and really digs into the concept of abiding 
and being in fellowship with one another, with the truth, and with God. My hope as we read this passage and as we hear God's word is that we would know that we are people of the truth and that our common confession of Jesus as king secures for us a place and a purpose. So again, to know we are people of the truth and that our confession, Jesus as king, secures for us a place and a purpose. So let's read our passage this morning. Reverend Kevin Smith, who started Mount Zion Covenant Church, which merged with Newtown to form City of Hope, would always have us stand when God's word was being read, and he would say, please stand with me to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. So would you stand with me as we read 1 John 2, 18 to 29. Open your Bibles, apps, or simply look at the screen behind me. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whomever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You may be seated. All right. Antichrist. Now I know why Temi stopped at verse 17 two weeks ago. Immediately following his plea to not love the world and to do the will of the Father in verse 17, John launches into a warning to his children regarding the conflict that's taking place in and amongst the church. In verse 18, he starts out stating that many antichrists have come, and then he identifies the antichrist as those who went out from us, in verse 19. Then he defines his readers as those who are anointed by the Holy One and those who have knowledge, in verse 20. So John is clearly indicating that there is a conflict between two parties, 
antichrists and those anointed by Jesus, those whom have left the church versus those who have remained, those whom are liars versus those whom have knowledge and know the truth, and finally, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ and those who confess the Son. Now, before we get too deep, let's define some terms. Antichrist. Well, actually, let's just start with Christ, the title. Christ, or Christos in Greek, simply means the anointed one. And when we think of being anointed, we may immediately think of Isaiah, who proclaimed, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We may also think of the kings of Israel who were anointed with oil and set apart by God via his prophets to rule over Israel. Consider David's anointing when Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now in both of these circumstances, the anointing was accompanied by the presence of the spirit of God. And in fact, in most of Scripture, when there is talk of anointing, usually the Spirit of God is present. And likewise, when we consider Jesus as Christ, or as anointed, we may think of Peter's sermon in Acts 10, when he stated that Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. And when we consider what happened at Jesus' baptism, we see the beautiful working of the triune God as the Spirit of God descended on Jesus the Son or anointed Jesus as the Father declared, this is my Son whom I am well pleased. So to say that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one is to say that Jesus is King, that he is a member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit made manifest to John and the Apostles, and that he is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So now that we understand that Christ means anointed, and understand its implications for Jesus' kingship and divinity, let's consider what it means to be anti-Christ. Now the term anti-Christ is only found in 1 John and 2 John. And interestingly enough, here in chapter 2, we have seemingly competing phrases when John mentions the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, in verse 18. And I really don't want to spend time today speculating on the singular Antichrist and his coming, but I would like to discuss the nature of the Antichrists and their presence in the original audience's church. Now the Greek word anti as used by John, likely means in opposition to. And this makes sense in how John is describing the Antichrist Antichrists. They are ones whom deny that Jesus is the Christ, verse 22, and they deny the Father and the Son relationship because they deny the Son. Namely, they deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They're denying that Jesus is the anointed king and denying his divinity or oneness with the Father, the very thing that his title as Christ demands. And notice where these antichrists have originated. 
They are amongst those who heard the word of truth from the beginning, as proclaimed by John and the apostles in chapter 1, and subsequently they left the fellowship of believers and began teaching a doctrine that omitted Christ as divine. They denied the power and the presence of sin, and they denied the redemption plan of the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. John also mentions that they do not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This antichrist or anti-Christian spirit is in opposition to the Spirit of God that has anointed John's readers. I love John's logic here. It's excessively simple. They, antichrists, went out from us, but they weren't of us. Verse 19. Oh, how do I know they weren't of us? Well, that's because they left us. And if they were of us, they would have stayed and not left. So basically, they were never of us because they're no longer of us. It's kind of like saying, you aren't here because you're there. Or the water is wet because it's not dry. It's simple. Those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe it and have been anointed by the Holy Spirit will not leave, will not deny that Jesus is the Christ, and will not deny the presence of sin and the need for redemption. It will not happen. Now, to be clear, I don't think John is making an argument about those who confess Jesus as Christ, yet still struggle with sin. Because remember, in chapter 1, he reminded that, them that in the presence of sin, Jesus advocates for us and cleanses us when we confess our sin. John is addressing those who outright deny Jesus' divinity, his atoning work, and his anointing from the Father as king. They are antichrists, meaning they are the ones who come in the spirit of the antichrist. Note our scripture reading from earlier today from Thessalonians. Paul discusses a growing battle between Jesus and this man of lawlessness, whom is powered by the activity of Satan. It's actually in the text. With all power and false signs and wonders and wicked deception. Thessalonians states that the man of lawlessness exalts himself against every god and proclaims himself to be God. And Paul reminds his readers that although this man of lawlessness or antichrist is yet to be revealed, that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And this is the spirit that John is mentioning now, the spirit of the antichrist. Well, thankfully, Paul reminds us that Jesus will kill this man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming when he returns. So this is kind of a big deal. This is important. There is a cosmic level struggle going on when we come across men, women, and children whom deny that Jesus is the Christ. Though they may not be in active opposition to Christ, to Jesus Christ, they are being deceived, lured into, and deferring to the spirit of the Antichrist, the power of Satan. And we're going to come back to that. For now, let's finish defining terms by trying to understand what John means when he says to the church that they are anointed. He says it in verse 20 when he says, You have been anointed 
by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. And he says it again in verse 27 when he says, the anointing you receive from him abides in you. And again, his anointing teaches you about everything and is true. As we discussed earlier, anointing is typically accompanied by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think of Luke 4, 8. Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Or 1 Corinthians 1, 21. God who established us with you in Christ has anointed us, has given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So here in John, he's clearly suggesting that the Spirit of God is giving them knowledge, verse 20, and teaching them, verse 27, and that the Holy Spirit abides or stays with them to teach and protect and to draw them into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. This is actually really beautiful. When Jesus in his obedience and humility, humbled himself to come to earth and be baptized, the gift from the Father to the Son was the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the declaration of his pleasure in Jesus. And Jesus extends this gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father to us that we may have fellowship with the triune God and be found to please him based on Christ's righteousness at work. You see, John's readers know the truth because they have been anointed by the Spirit. They are little Christs, little anointed ones, little Christians. That is who you are, and that is who I am. Ones who have the very Spirit of God in us that we may know the truth and stand in opposition to the spirit of the Antichrist and hold fast to our confession that Jesus is the Christ. This takeaway is of first most importance in this passage. Please don't take this for granted. You are of the truth because God has anointed you. You are a Christian. He has given you the spirit of truth that gives you knowledge and teaches you and accompanies you and abides with you in everything that you do. Consider your life, the country of your birth, the faith of your parents, the faithfulness of your brothers and sisters in the Lord whom have encouraged you to walk in the light. Think about Sunday school teachers, about trials and hardships that have increased your faith. Think about your conversion. And think about the power of God's word to transform you. Think about all the ways God has worked to bring you to this place here and now. His faithfulness to you, little Christ, anointed one, is the evidence of the abiding work of the Holy Spirit. Do not Doubt that. And lift your heart in praise as you consider all of the sins that God has spared you from, all of the forks in the road where he has kept you in his love and all of the opportunities he has spared you from the deception of the spirit of the Antichrist. Your righteous condition before God 
all to result in praise and daily worship and thanksgiving. Do not doubt his goodness or his faithfulness. Remember, 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 John would say to you, what you heard from the beginning and let it abide in you. Verse 24. So when John says to his readers that because of their anointing they know the truth, they have knowledge, and the truth abides in them, I want us to let that sink in. Because of what God has done, because of how he breathed life on you, and how he made his words have authority over your hearts and mind, and because he has anointed, literally the the word in Greek, charisma, means to smear like an ointment. Because he has smeared his Holy Spirit upon you, we confess with our hearts and lives that Jesus is the Christ. He is King. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And think about what this confession means. And consider why it's so unappealing to the Antichrist. We might as well confess. We are not the master of our fate. We are not the captain of our soul. We are not in charge, and we are not the priority. We do not have a right to live our lives the way we want. In fact, we might as well confess that our very lives are not our own. Who apart from the abiding work of the Spirit is prepared to make that confession? The reality of this confession is what separated members of the early church with Antichrist denying the truth. And it's no different today. We confess Jesus Christ crucified and ought to long for others to do the same. We must remember that the battle is between Jesus and the Antichrist, God and Satan, the Holy Spirit and the spirit of deception. And then remember that God has anointed you with his spirit, breathed life into you, and saved you through the work of Jesus. We cannot take credit for our own salvation. And in the same but opposite way, Satan is deceiving the Antichrist and convincing them of falsehood. Many whom are lost and wallowing in sin are enslaved to sin and to the evil one. Therefore, we ought to be ones who simultaneously hold fast to the confession that Jesus is the Christ while bidding sinners come. We ought to be firm in our conviction that Jesus is the Christ while praying for our enemies. And we ought to be those who claim that the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son while we do good to those who deny Jesus Christ and walk in darkness. So as people of the truth, anointed with the Spirit of God, I'd like to talk about what this means for our place and purpose. Consider again the intimacy of the triune God. Think of God anointing Christ with the Spirit and declaring his pleasure over him during his baptism and the fellowship they had together throughout all of redemptive history and how God anointed Jesus with the Spirit to preach good news to the poor. Likewise, 
hear how Jesus talks to his disciples in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be with you, and will be with you. Jesus here in John 14 is talking about the Spirit of God, and in fact even calls him the Spirit of truth. Remember, we are people of the truth. He mentions that the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth, think Antichrist, and that the Spirit will be with us forever and will be in us. So when we think about place, let's not think about a physical place, but rather think of place as belonging or where we dwell. In the last six verses of our passage, verses 24 to 29, John uses the term abide six times. Abide is the Greek word meno and means to remain or dwell. And what John is trying to convey to his readers is to remain or dwell in what they heard from the beginning, from the apostles, and even directly from Jesus. To remain or dwell in fellowship with the Son and the Father, verse 24, to remain or dwell with the spirit that is in them, verse 27, and to remain and dwell with Jesus, verse 28. So that when he appears, we have confidence. And definitely to remain or dwell in the confession of Jesus as the Christ. This place of belonging and dwelling with the triune God is exactly what John is reminding the readers that they have and where they ought to remain. And he's doing it in light of the Antichrist who are leaving the church and declaring falsehood about Jesus Christ. It's not hard to imagine this, and even to think about this reality in present day. These men and women who were in fellowship together, they were in fellowship together, and then a faction of them, the Antichrist, broke away from the fellowship. Relationships were severed and friendships broken. Real heartache at seeing the fellowship split and the person and the work of Jesus being denied. And John is having to remind his listeners whom they are, people of the truth, and the belonging that they have as those who participate in the union with the triune God. And his call to them is to abide. Abide in the truth. Abide in the Son and the confession of whom he is. Abide in the spirit that was given to you. Do not compromise. Do not sin. Walk in righteousness and confess your sin. And as you abide and as you find your place and belonging in the fellowship of God's people, in the fellowship with the triune God, consider that your ultimate place and your ultimate dwelling is eternity with God. Look at verse 25. After talking about our abiding with the Father and the Son, John reminds his readers that God's promise that he made to us, whom abide in him, is eternal life, glory, perfection, union, fellowship, and belonging with their heavenly Father, 
our Savior Jesus, and the Spirit of truth. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17. Over and over, Jesus mentions the unity he has with the Father and how he and the Father are one and how we are one with him. He mentions that he has guarded us and has sanctified us with the truth. And he finishes his prayer by saying, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So because of Jesus and his anointing us with the Spirit, we have belonging with him and the Father. This is what he accomplished for us on the cross and in his resurrection. And as people of the truth, not only do we have belonging or a place, he's given us a purpose. And this purpose is what John has been getting at for the first two chapters. Live a righteous life in Jesus Christ that corroborates the saving, sanctifying work of God in your life. Love one another as Christ loved you, this old and new commandment that he talked about earlier in chapter 2. And do not love the world and the things of the world. Practice righteousness in light of the God of righteousness. Verse 29. Remember what John said earlier. God is light and in him there is no darkness. God is true and in him there is no falsehood. And you, as the people of the truth, proclaim truth and light and you push back against the darkness and against deceivers, and against the spirit of the Antichrist as you walk in a manner worthy of and fully pleasing to Jesus Christ. This is why we repeat our benediction every week. We recognize that the God of peace who gave us Jesus Christ by the blood of the eternal covenant is equipping us with everything we need to do his will and is working in us that which is pleasing to him. And as he equips us in doing what is pleasing in his sight, we find that we are abiding in him. And as we abide, we grow in closeness to him and gain confidence in him so that we will not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Verse 28. We know that we are his. And we have witnessed the work of the Spirit in our lives to make us more and more like Christ every day. Now practically, notice that the thing that separates little Christs from Antichrist is the Spirit of truth, whom enables Christians to understand and confess that Jesus is Lord and to live in that truth. That is the difference. We, anointed ones, were gifted with the knowledge of who Jesus is and smeared with the Holy Spirit to be able to abide, remain, and dwell with the Father, Son, and Spirit. The difference between Jesus and the Antichrist, God and Satan, Christians and Antichrist, is not pro-vax versus anti-vax, Republican versus Democrat, black versus white, climate change, Second Amendment rights, 
for the hundreds of other ways we have chosen to break fellowship over. We ought to be striving to live at peace with our brothers and sisters while we abide in Christ and strive to live in righteousness as John is continually calling his readers, both individually and corporately. Our purpose here on earth is to glorify the Father, the Son, and Spirit in community by acts of righteousness, love, praise, and worship. It is to push back against the darkness by proclaiming God's truth, by elevating his word, and by outdoing one another in love. We fulfill our purpose when we endure hardship with joy, when we love our enemies and pray for those who curse us, when we endure persecution for the sake of Christ and then exhibit the fruits of the Spirit to a world filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. In reality, everything we do, seen or unseen, private, public, large, small, inconsequential or grandiose, it is all done as members of Jesus' kingdom, as members of his church, and as those who have the spirit of the truth. In closing, let us have hearts of gratitude that we have been chosen to be people of the truth. Daily, in humility, thanking God for his forgiveness and for our salvation. May we delight in the confession that Jesus is the Christ. And may we cast off our attachment to this world and be satisfied to abide in the Father through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And may we practice righteousness individually and corporately that we may stand in confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. And may we be a light and a blessing that drives away the darkness in all the pockets and the spheres of life that God has placed us. God bless you and be with you. Amen. We pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for abiding in us and with us. With hearts of gratitude, as much as we can muster, we say thank you for your Holy Spirit. Put the truth in us that convinced us that Jesus is God, that he died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins and continually advocates for us, um, presenting us holy and blameless uh, to the Father. Thank you for bringing us into your love, Heavenly Father, through Jesus and through your Spirit. We pray that we would stay firm and secure in our confession with hearts that burn for those who are lost around us, that we may love and serve them and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.